This is the Build Wealth Canada show, episode number 85. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the show. On this month's episode, we're going to discuss some of the most frequently asked investing questions that I receive. The first of these is helping you decide if you should just pick one ETF for your entire portfolio. These are referred to as asset allocation ETFs, or if you should pick and choose multiple ETFs for your portfolio to fine-tune it based on your specific preferences. We also talk about how to determine the asset allocation for your portfolio, the stock-to-bond mix, as well as how to determine how risky the ETFs that you're considering actually are. It turns out there is an actual standardized risk rating in Canada to help you determine this, which I think you'll find really helpful. Last but definitely not least, we cover socially responsible investing, also known as ESG investing, to help you decide whether ESG ETFs could be a good fit for your investment portfolio and some things to be careful about and consider when partaking in socially responsible investing by buying these types of ETFs. To help me with this, I'm thrilled to have Danielle Nazio back on the show. Danielle and her team actually create some of the most popular ETFs that Canadians invest in. She works for BMO ETFs, which is the largest Canadian ETF provider in the country. So we're literally getting this information right from the source here, which I'm always a really big fan of. Now, Danielle and her ETF research team have put together a lot of free resources for Canadian investors over the years. And because there are so many of them, I created a resource page where you can see them listed and access them easily. They're all free. They're not affiliate links or anything like that. And you can check them out and start learning over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash BMO. So just buildwealthcanada.ca slash BMO. So enjoy, a big thanks to Danielle and the team for putting these together and making them available free of charge. And now let's get into the interview. All right, Danielle, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Cornell. It's great to be back. So before we dive into the details of how to analyze and choose the ETFs that are right for an investor's particular situation, for anybody not familiar, can you tell us a bit about BMO ETFs, your research team, and the educational resources that you and the team produce for Canadian investors? Sure. Well, BMO ETFs, we were actually one of the first institutions in Canada to bring ETFs to market. And we did that actually way back in 2009. So we've been in the game for quite some time now. Uh, And then since 2009, we've actually brought in more new flows, so more new money into our ETFs than any other provider in Canada. And we're really, really proud of this because what this really shows is that um, we've been consistently trusted by all investors, institutions, advisors, and direct investors year after year with their money and assets. And just shows that Canadian investors really believe in our ETFs and believe in our team. So we really like to, um, we're really proud of that. Uh, We do have an amazing team behind these ETFs. So we have over 111 strategies, you can believe it, um, that we've launched since 2009. So you can imagine that takes quite a large team uh, to manage and take care of. So we kind of have a three three pillars of our team. So we have our portfolio managers and they run the day-to-day operations of each ETF portfolio. So things like rebalancing, buying and selling the holdings, the stocks and bonds within each ETF. For cover call ETFs, they're writing those call options. So things like this, 
Um, and the head of that team actually worked on the first fixed income ETF in the world. He was he had worked on launching that way, way, way back. So this is the kind of expertise um, and, ex and experience that we have on this team. And then we have our product team. So they work tirelessly uh, developing new, t new ETFs, bringing them to market, working with index providers, trying to understand what's the best strategy, uh, what ETFs are investors looking for next. So they work on that. And then we have our sales team who are really in the field on the ground and working with investors, helping them uh, understand how to use ETFs and educating them on ETFs uh, and talking to people, bringing that feedback back to see what new ETFs we could possibly be bringing out in the future. So I would say, you know, I'm biased because I'm on the team, but I think we are really the best in the business here in Canada. And I'm pretty proud to be on the team. Uh, in terms of education, so you asked about our educational resources. This is so important. You know, we're one of the first providers to bring ETFs to market. So we had to educate people on how to use an ETF, the benefits of an ETF, because a lot of people didn't know or understand how to use this product. So we actually have all sorts of resources for different types of investors. But for direct investors, we have a fabulous website, ETFmarketinsights.com. This is a great place for investors to go to get educational resources, reports, we have podcasts, we have a weekly webinar that's free to join. And you can actually just submit your questions right there on the on the website. And we answer those every week in our webinar. So tons of educational resources for investors as well. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I really enjoy your, your webinars. And I love how you guys actually take questions from people can submit questions ahead of time, and then you answer them. I mean, it's a lot of us never had any sort of you know ETF training in university or college or anything like that. And so, you know, we a lot of us are learning this ourselves, trying to find good reputable sources. And so it's really nice how uh, you guys actually offer that that as a service. So there actually is someone to speak to, um, which is awesome. Now, uh, the last time I checked, BMO was definitely one of the largest ETF providers for all of Canada and, and the largest in several categories, depending how you look at it. Uh, can you speak to that as well a little bit? Sure. So yeah, we are, we have 26% of the market share in ETFs in Canada right now. So that equates to just over 90 billion in assets, which is a lot. If you think about way back in 2009, when we started, now we've grown this to almost a hundred billion. So uh, definitely a lot of growth there for our ETF business. And like I mentioned, we have a, a 111 ETF strategies. So really covering the entire investment spectrum from broad-based equities and fixed income. We have sectors, thematics, ESG options. We have the entire fixed income um, sector covered. So, so many different building blocks for investors to use to tailor a portfolio um, that's, you know, just unique to them. Uh, we do have a couple big, big ETFs. We call them the billion dollar club. Uh, we have the largest S&P 500 ETF in Canada. That's ZSP. It has over 11 billion in assets. We have the largest fixed income ETF in Canada as well. That's ZAG ZAG, our broad um, aggregate bond Canadian ETF. And we're the largest provider for fixed income ETFs in Canada. Cover call ETFs in Canada. So you know we've been in, like we've been around for over 11 years now, and um, we've been really developing and innovating in the space. And it's just now we're just such leaders in the space. So it's a great, great team to be on for sure. Awesome. And yeah, the reason I asked the question is that 
because you're one of the leaders in the space, and I believe you're the largest sort of Canadian-owned ETF provider as well, which is really nice. Because like, if you look at Vanguard, we look at iShares. You know, they're not pure Canadian companies like you guys are, which is also great. But you know, so as one of the the leaders, I'm sure you guys really have your hand on the pulse on what has become popular with Canadian investors. So, can you maybe tell us a little bit a little bit about that and kind of where things are going, where you see things uh, trending? Yeah, Cornell. So what we really saw in 2021 was flows go into equities and equity ETFs. And this makes sense to us because a lot of investors gravitating to equity markets because they are seeing the growth potential in these markets coming out of that March 2020 COVID crash. Um, And ETFs make a lot of sense to get access to these markets. They're an efficient way to access uh, broad markets they're easy to use, and they're cost efficient. So within this kind of category, broad market equity ETFs have been very popular. This is nothing new. We kind of see this year after year. So this hasn't slowed. So investors looking for S&P 500 ETFs for broad Canadian equity ETFs, this is still a favorite. But what we're also seeing grow out of this is investors are starting to figure out asset allocation ETFs. So this is a new way to access those broad market ETFs, but all within a single ticker. So you're getting all the broad global equity and fixed income ETFs all wrapped in one ETF. We're seeing a lot of flows and a lot of investor interest go in that direction. Uh, And then lastly, maybe I'll I'll mention, uh, no surprise, crypto ETFs made a big splash in 2021. Um, Canada was the first place to have legislators admit these types of ETFs to the exchange. Uh, And I think it's a great proof point for ETFs in general. It's just an an easier way for investors to access things like Bitcoin and Ethereum right in their online brokerage accounts. So uh, of course, a lot of volatility as well that we saw in in those ETFs. But um, that's kind of something that we're finding is very popular among Canadian investors in the past year. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I think once someone decides to become a DIY investor, the next decision they need to make is whether they should invest by simply choosing a single asset allocation ETF or whether they should choose multiple ETFs based on different criteria to further customize their portfolio for their specific preferences. So when someone is wrestling with this decision, what should their thought process be? And what are the pros and cons of going with a single asset allocation ETF versus just buying multiple individual ETFs? Right. So I think it depends how um, involved Uh, in the overall portfolio an investor wants to be. So an asset allocation ETF is really best suited for um, an investor who wants to take all the guesswork out of portfolio management. They don't have to pick the ETFs. Um, They don't have to do that portfolio maintenance because it's rebalanced automatically that the asset allocation ETF uh, rebalances back to that equity fixed income weight every, well, for BMO, in BMO's case, every quarter. So this is sort of a set it and forget it type of investor who just wants to make their monthly or quarterly contributions uh, and not have to think about portfolio maintenance or pick um, a specific ETF. Now, on the other hand, all those building blocks within that asset allocation ETF are available to investors to build their own portfolio. And this could be a type of investor who is a little more hands-on approach who wants to tweak that asset allocation between their U.S. equities and their Canadian and their emerging market equities, 
board maybe tweak that fixed income and equity allocation on their own, they can certainly do that building out a portfolio using, you know, seven or eight different ETFs that are available to them. But that investor would also have to spend a little more time, you know, monitoring their portfolio, checking in, making sure that asset allocation is still in check. So it's two types of investors, but really the same ETFs are available for each and the same um, composition of portfolio is available to each. Awesome. So let's start with the simpler scenario and assume that the investor decided that asset allocation ETFs are the right choice for them. So to start, once someone has made the decision to invest by just selecting a single asset allocation ETF, what is the next thing that they need to do to ensure that they select the correct one for their particular situation? Okay, this is a great question. So if you're thinking about using an asset allocation ETF, there are several options available along the risk spectrum um, that an investor can choose from. So you start at the lower end of the the risk spectrum in something like an income asset allocation ETF, which would be much more heavily weighted in fixed income. And then moving along, you get something like a conservative, there's even all equity asset allocation ETFs that have no fixed income at all. And they're on the higher end of the risk spectrum. So when investors deciding what mix is right for them, they need to consider things such as their investment goals, their investment objectives, their time horizon plays a big part in this, um, their ability and their willingness to take on risk. All these uh, factors will play into what's the optimal asset allocation mix for that specific investor. So those are questions investors need to ask themselves and figure out for themselves. Um, but you know, just as a reminder, the more fixed income you have, the more portfolio stability, right? The less volatility, but then there's less potential for growth. And then the more equity you have, you're open up for more potential growth. But of course, that also comes with more portfolio volatility as well. Awesome. And I'm curious as well, for you, you and your team at BMO, how do you define risk? I find it sounds like a really simple question, but I find depending who you ask, there's very different definitions that people have. And it's such a critical thing when you're trying to figure out your asset allocation and, and therefore which asset allocation ETF you actually want to pick. Yeah, good question. So we actually rate every one of our ETFs has a risk rating. And this is completely regulated by the Ontario Securities Commission. Um, we can't just decide what risk rating we'd like to give it. So an investor can rely on these risk ratings. You can find this information on um, the provider's websites. You can find it in the prospectus. But this should give an investor a fairly good idea of the type of risk they're walking into when they purchase an ETF or when they're thinking about an ETF. How is that risk determined? We use what's called a standard deviation. So this is really just a measurement of the volatility, um, the historical volatility in that ETF. And of course, if that ETF doesn't have a long um, history, we'll use an index that's been around longer than it, that it matches it. But what this tells us is how volatile the ETF has been uh, looking back on a 10-year period. And just a reminder that volatility doesn't just mean uh, sharp drops. It also includes sharp upswings as well. So thinking about a roller coaster, you're not just going down, you are going back up as well. So those just large swings make something more volatile. So a risk rating um, can certainly help an investor 
um, when deciding, you know, what's what's right for them. Um, but an ETF in general will have a lower risk or lower volatility than a single stock. So most most um, equity ETFs are sitting at about a medium to medium high risk um, risk rating, unless you look at something like an energy sector or something a little more cyclical. Uh, and that would be a lot different than just purchasing a single ETF. So just a few things to note there. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for defining that. I remember when I first started investing or even just heard about investing, I'm thinking, you know, back in high school here, I remember when I thought of risk, I thought of, you know, at that age, you're hearing about you know, penny stocks and things like that. And so I remember when I was just getting started, I would think of, I would personally define risk as, well, what's the chance of me losing all my money? And that was, that was the definition. And then as one starts learning about this and, and starts researching this, you learn that, okay, that's, yeah, that's one way to define risk. But when we're getting into, I would say the ETF world and buying indexes and things of that nature, it's, it's not like the entire S&P 500 is going to go to zero because something happened, right? It's, that's no longer a really We've good We've been a lot of troubles that happened, Cornell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that so, whole S&P 500 went to zero. I think we'd have bigger things to worry about. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so at least for me, like the reason I bring it up is that was a really big paradigm shift, a big game changer in terms of how I thought of investing, where if you're investing in really large, broadly diversified ETFs, you know, like an asset allocation ETF, you, you can't define risk as, oh, I'm just, what if I lose all my money in it? it? That's not really how it works anymore. That's not really realistic, I would say, right? It's more about the volatility, like you mentioned. So I think, I mean, people that have been investing for a while know this already, I think, but I think it's such a huge thing for any beginner investors listening, uh, because it really does change at least for me personally, it really changed completely how I viewed investing as a whole, where you know you're not just it's not just oh i'm I'm betting on something and I might lose everything like a casino. That's not the way to look at it in my opinion. so um so anyway, so thank you for for defining that and like hearing it from the actual you know ETF provider <laughs> obviously holds a lot of weight. so so I appreciate you doing that. Hey there, just want to give you a quick announcement that I'll be hosting the Canadian Financial Summit again this year, and I have free tickets for you. So the conference is 100% online, so no travel required. It's specifically for Canadians. It's taking place in the fall, and my co-host and I are bringing on some of Canada's top personal finance experts to share their best practices to help you retire early, invest better, lower your fees, pay less on taxes, and help you learn the best practices when it comes to personal finance and investing so that you can hit your financial independence number years earlier. Now, collectively, past guests of the summit have been in hundreds of media articles from major news and financial publications in Canada, such as the Globe and Mail, Financial Post, Global News, CTV, Yahoo Finance, and many, many more. So I'm giving away free tickets to the entire event. So to get them, when I release them, just sign up anywhere for free over at buildwealthcanada.ca. And that way, I have your email to send them to you when they're ready. And also, as a bonus, when you sign up, I'll send you my PDF guide, on the top personal finance and investing tools that I use specifically for Canadians. It's all free and all you have to do is sign up anywhere over at buildwealthcanada.ca so I know where to send you the tickets. All right, I look forward to seeing you there. And now back to the show. 
yeah, so moving on to the next question, uh, you know, one ETF that I've been particularly eager to see specifically from BMO is an all equity asset allocation ETF. And I recently heard that BMO uh, has now created one, which is really exciting because I know I've been kind of lo- looking for it and hoping you guys release one soon. And, and, and now you have, so that's awesome. Um, but for anybody not familiar, uh, can you explain what an all equity asset allocation ETF is and how is your all equity ETF uh, which in your case, it's ZEQT is the ticker for anybody that wants to look it up. How is that one different from the other two all equity ETFs uh, from Vanguard and iShares that are available to Canadians? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too, Cornell. I'm like, I've been waiting for this ETF for a while as well. So I'm so glad um, we finally got it listed. ZEQT is is now trading. It's on the exchange. That's so uh, very exciting for us. So an all equity asset allocation ETF uh, so this can be considered by investors who are more comfortable with taking on that risk, like we talked about, because it is all equity. There's no fixed income in the portfolio. Um, or, you know, it could even be used just to manage that equity sleeve of a portfolio if an investor wants to do their own fixed income allocation uh, using ETFs or, or what have you on the side. So that's kind of the use case for this ETF. Um, we have about six broad-based ETFs that we hold in this, all equity, of course. And uh, we have an S&P 500, ZSP, the S&P 500 ETF. We have a broad-based Canadian ETF, ZCN. We hold um, international markets, that's ZEA. We have emerging markets, that's ZEM. And then you get a little bit of the U.S. mid-cap and small-cap as well. That's just the S&P mid-cap and small-cap indexes. So uh, a really, really globally diversified portfolio um, holding, you know, all those indexes that investors are really familiar with, like the S&P and the MSCI. So um, an accessible and a single ticker. So this is why we're so excited uh, to bring it to market. So in terms of differences, they, there are a few. They're, they're a bit slight, but we do have very competitive pricing on it. It's um, 18 basis points management fee. So that's 0.18%. So very, very um, cost efficient to access all these ETFs, a little bit cheaper than the Vanguard uh, option. And then those underlying indexes that I mentioned, they're the very well-known indexes that investors are very comfortable with. They've heard of before the S&Ps and the MSCIs. Uh, and then I would say one of the biggest differences is our our incredible team of individuals that I spoke about at the beginning of the show behind this ETF, um, all here in Canada, all been in the business for so long, managing it, monitoring it. Um, I think at the end of the day, this is a really important point because you really just want to trust that team um, that's behind the ETF. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier when we first started chatting about sort of the inflows and the amount of Canadians moving to BMO ETFs, how you guys are really at the top in terms of that. So I think that really speaks to sort of the trust that your team has built over the years. And obviously there wouldn't be such so many people buying the BMO ETFs if there was an issue there and, you know, in the trust department. Right. So, um, so that's really, really neat to see. Yeah. I was wondering if I was starting to bug you guys too much, because every time I remember I spoke to, I think it was either you or one of your colleagues, I would ask, Hey, do you guys have an all equity asset allocation ETF yet? Do you have one? Do you have one? Cause I, I use them pretty much exclusively for my RESP. Um, and my kids are still really young. So I just go all equity personally. Uh, and so I remember bugging you guys all the time. And so when I heard that you guys finally have one, I, I got really, really excited. Um, and just for the listeners, it just, uh, I'm sure I'll get lots of questions about, you know, how does 
um, the BMO one compared to some of the other ones out there. So I actually pulled up the other two. So if you do want to look it up, um, so BMO is like we said, is Z-E-Q-T. And then the Vanguard one is V-E-Q-T. And X-E-Q-T is the iShares one. So um, the reason I personally, and obviously do your own due diligence and do your own research, but when I compared the th- the three, um, so the iShares one and the BMO one are very similar. So the big kind of differences that I've noticed are between Vanguard, uh, for example, and BMO. Um, and I've noticed one, like Danielle mentioned, the BMO one is less expensive in terms of the MER or the, the management expense. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, it's, it's still relatively competitive, but, you know, but still I, Obviously, there's a preference towards the less expensive one, especially since it's still a really good product. Um, and then the other big thing that I noticed was that the Vanguard one did have more of a home country bias. So it did have more allocated towards Canada. Um, and because of that, it had less in US and it had less in international. Uh, and so me personally, I now I prefer sort of the BMO way of doing it because Canada's only, correct me if I'm wrong, Danielle, like 3%-ish of the market when it comes to sort of, you know, international worldwide stock market. And so all of these asset allocation ETFs already have a home country bias. And so I don't want it to be too high. And so with the Vanguard one, I noticed they are they are higher. They're at uh, 30% Canadian versus 25, uh, which is what BMO is, uh, you know, like roughly. Um, so that I would say is one big reason why I prefer sort of the BMO one. Um, and then the other one is that US is... Um, a very large portion of the international equity markets, like, you know, well over 50% at this point. Uh, And so anything that is higher sort of on the US side, that's more in line with the market cap weights is what I prefer um, as well. And so um, in Vanguard, like I said, because they have more in Canada, they had therefore have less in US and international. Um, So for anybody curious, those were sort of the reasons why I've been sort of gearing more towards the BMO uh, allocation as opposed to the Vanguard one, which is, I remember the one that I started with a while back. And then as I learned kind of how the BMO one is more in line with sort of the market cap weights that I'm seeing, I've, I've kind of tr- transitioned more so to that one. Um, so anyways, uh, for anybody interested, that was sort of the reasoning and uh, I, I did some analysis on it. So I thought I would share that with uh, uh, with everyone. Did you have anything to add to that, Danielle, or was that um, is that sufficient, do you think? No, that that's great. Great comparison. And I'm just so happy that you're thinking about using the Z instead. This is <laughs> Use awesome. the Z instead. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Sounds uh, good. I work for Vimo, but yeah, that's our tagline now. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. So now what about investors who really like the benefits of asset allocation ETFs, but want their portfolio to be focused more on socially responsible investing instead of just trying to capture the entire broad market across the entire world uh, and all the companies within? Right. So there are asset allocation ETFs, which screen for ESG leading companies. So at BMO, um, we have a balanced asset allocation ETF with an ESG screen. It's called ZESG. So that's 60% equities, 40% fixed income. And uh, what's important to note about this is we use what's called a broad market approach. So ZESG is going to look very, very similar to ZBAL, the kind of straight up balanced asset allocation ETF in terms of things like sector and regional makeup. And this is an important distinction because um, you're really getting just the best in class ESG companies from each specific region. Um, so it, 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 you're, you're, not, you're not increasing your tracking error um, over time. So this is, this is an option for investors. Now, I will point out that that particular ETF 
There's no emerging markets in it yet because we don't yet have uh, an emerging markets ESG ETF. We are looking at it. it might be something we we use and integrate down the road. So if you are thinking about including uh, something like a ZESG in your portfolio, but you don't want to miss out on an emerging market, maybe this is something, an allocation you can add on your own using an emerging market ETF like a ZEM. Um, and we do actually have two specific country ESG ETFs, ZCH for China and ZID for India, which are both ESG ETFs as well. So just something to consider. Awesome. And there's been some interesting research on ESG or socially responsible investing, particularly from Ben Felix over at PWL Capital, where from his research, it appeared that ESG ETFs tend to have lower expected return compared to an investor who chooses to just invest in the total broad market. So based on that research, it appears that the investor has to choose whether they are okay with potentially smaller expected returns in exchange for being socially responsible investors. What are your thoughts on this? I haven't, so I haven't looked at that exact report. Um, so I don't know exactly what ETFs he's looking at, what his comparison is. But what I can tell you is that ESG ETFs are actually some of the fastest growing areas of the market. So if we just look at Canada alone, the number of ESG ETFs in Canada doubled last year. We went from about 50 to over 100. So there is investor interest and appetite here. Now, many of these ESG ETFs are broad market solutions, which I kind of talked about in the last question. So what we mean by this is they're not as much sacrificing returns um, to get that ESG exposure. So this type of ETF looks to have holdings that mimic, so that are very, very similar to the broad market, but just screening out or not holding companies that are considered to be ESG laggards. So for example, ZSP, S&P 500 ETF, you have about 500 companies, US equity companies. Our broad market ESG, um, US equity ETF, ESGY, it would hold about 250 companies that are the best in class out of that 500 from an ESG perspective. And it keeps things such as sector weights in line with the S&P 500. So if one sector is, is outperforming at any, any given time, you're still exposed to the exact same sector makeup as something like the S&P 500. So we say this reduces tracking error. So investors get that broad market look and feel while maintaining a higher ESG rating. So these ETFs have actually kept up uh, in terms of performance. I was just looking uh, before we started chatting, uh, ESGY actually outperformed ZSP in 2021 on the calendar year. So I think it's really important um, to note this because investors actually are able to align their investments with their values without having to sacrifice returns. And what we are also noticing in ESG um, ETFs that have like the broad market exposure we're noticing a bit of a quality bias actually playing out, which could be an ESG investor's favor. So where these companies who are um, best in class in terms of an ESG lens, they're better managing or avoiding those ESG risks. And these risks can have negative impacts on shareholder value. And these companies are actually better at taking advantage of ESG opportunities, which can actually have a positive impact on shareholder value. So I think um, as these products build up their track records because they are new to the market and then the indexes 
build out their track records as well, investors will become more comfortable with using them because they can look up that history um, and can maybe that quality bias will start to be a little more apparent. Mm -hmm. Just to make sure I don't miss it, did you say that with something like the two ETFs that you mentioned, so the sort of the S&P 500 version versus the sort of ESG version of the S&P 500, that you still keep the sector weights very similar? Is that what you said? Yeah, and we do that on purpose because we want things to match. So here's an example. So in Canada, we are overweight to the energy sector. And we, so our Canadian um, ESG broad market ETF is ESGA. We keep the energy sector weight the exact same as, as or very, very tight to what we have in ZCN, which is our broad Canadian market um, ETF. So there can be energy companies. But what we do is we look at what energy companies are best managing their environmental standards? Okay. What energy companies have the best social practices uh, amongst their peers, the best governance practices, the best management teams? So these are the kind of energy companies we're including. Now, if we were to exclude, there's a lot of ETFs out there that are excluding all energy, and that's a different type of strategy. What happens is you get a lot more cyclical and volatile ETF because you know, if you saw last year, the energy sector was the best performing sector. So if you didn't have any of that in your portfolio, you were missing out that year. Mm-hmm. So this is what we mean by minimizing tracking or by keeping those sector um, sector weights really, really in line. Mm-hmm. I love that. that. That's so smart. I Because uh, that, that was really one of my main concerns about with some of these ESG TFs is that, okay, there's certain industries that tend to be sort of less ESG friendly, so to speak. And, and so then it almost feels like you're taking on this extra risk because now you're you're trying to be a socially responsible investor. So you're excluding giant pieces of entire industries. Uh, and then obviously, so that's kind of, that all of a sudden sounds more risky now, right? Because you're not diversified by by sector anymore or not very well. Um, so that's really interesting how you guys actually factor um, that in so that you sort of still get that and aren't taking on that extra risk while still being um, sort of ESG uh, compliant. So that, that's really neat. I had no idea it worked like that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And maybe I'll just give another shout out to our, our product team. I know I, t- I talk about the team a lot, but you know, when we thought about bringing ESG ETFs to market, we were really deliberate with trying to figure out what is the best approach because there was already a lot of different things out there, ex-fossil fuels, more thematic type. And we were, you know, trying to figure out what will resonate with investors the most, what will uh, be the best approach. And uh, we came up with, with this and we partnered with MSCI to get the indexes just right. But I think that just goes to show you why um, having like, you know, great expertise and great thought leadership on a team makes a big difference in bringing a product to market. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, you know, for people that want to be socially responsible investors as well, do you think there's also a middle ground where we can, let's say, be socially responsible without having to potentially sacrifice some of the expected returns? Like maybe, you know, you take the total broad market, you just invest that way, but then you take some of those gains and then you invest it into, let's say, a charity that you believe in. So kind of a more direct way of of doing that. What are your thoughts on sort of that kind of a hybrid approach? Yeah, if you're thinking about using ETFs as building blocks to plates to kind of construct a portfolio this way. So what we're seeing a lot of people um, doing is they have their, you know, their kind of core set up so someone like you, Cornell, you might have your your EQT, whatever, if it's V or Z or whatever in your portfolio, and that's yeah. your core and you're comfortable with it. Um, but you're thinking about how can I tilt it to 
have a little bit of ESG exposure. So there are thematic exposures out there which can kind of drill in more on a specific ESG issue. So for example, you can get an ETF that's focused on clean energy. You know, we just launched recently um, Z Green, ZGRN, which is focused on um, all the companies in the world that are, are working towards climate goals, reducing carbon, carbon emissions, working towards that 1.5 degree uh, target that we've been hearing about. So more, more environmentally focused. We have a women in leadership ETF, with, which actually looks at companies that have um, women CEOs and women representation on boards, if that is, is something that's that's um, really important to you. So you can use these ETS, kind of add them as, as complements or satellites to your core holdings to tilt towards a specific ESG theme. Mm-hmm. That is really, really interesting. Yeah, I must say, because uh, before before our talk now, you know, when I thought, I kind of thought saw it as more black or white, right? Where, okay, you're either an ESG investor or you're a total market index investor and, and that's it. Um, but yeah, but you, that makes total sense what you said. I mean, yeah, you can you can do that, but there's also sort of this middle ground where, okay, you've got your core total market portfolio, but then just like how some people will tilt towards certain factors or whatever they want, um, you can in the same kind of way tilt towards certain you know, causes or, you know, certain sort of criteria that are to, to make your portfolio a bit, more, a bit more tilted toward ESG. It's not like you have to be all or nothing ESG. Uh, so yeah, I'm, <laughs> it sounds obvious now that I say it out loud, but, but yeah, for some reason I was like, okay, you're either an ESG investor or you're not. Um, but you're right. There is sort of that middle ground where you can sort of have that core, but then kind of tilt it towards certain things. If you want to be like a, you know, I guess partial ESG investor, or have at least some of your portfolio more ESG compliant. Um, so that's great. Thank, thanks. I, yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a really good suggestion. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad you. Yeah, I think it just makes sense. You know, that's why ETFs are just the building blocks. You, you can build anything you want really in your portfolio and, and tilt it exactly how you want, and it's really efficient access. <laughs> yeah, like so, doing something like you mentioned, um, like the all equity one, for example. So ZEQT. So maybe you have some of that, and that's just like total broad market. But then you maybe have some of your your, your ESG ETF in there as well for a certain portion to kind of tilt it accordingly uh, towards that. So that, just to see that as a potential option as well. Um, that's great. Um, so I, I noticed that you and the team at BMO produce a lot of you know free education and resources for DIY ETF investors like myself and many of the listeners of the show. Uh, so for somebody that wants to learn more about what we discussed today and other DIY investor ETF topics, you know what's the best place for them to go? Yeah, check out etfmarketinsights.com. It, it really is a, an amazing resource. We work on this site weekly. We put out this weekly webinar. We're getting a growing audience. Cornell, you've been on the show a few times. Uh, we've had a lot of fun, but we're, um, we know our, our content is driven by investors' questions. Like I said, I think we're the only ETF provider in Canada that actually has a, a place for direct investors to come and ask us directly. Me and my team are answering these emails. Uh, we're behind it. Uh, so I think that's a fabulous resource. And we build our content based on those questions. So if we get a lot of questions about inflation, we're gonna we'll we'll talk about that on our our next weekly episode. So um, I think that's a great place for investors to go. And like I mentioned, we also have a ton of reports, um, white papers and articles. Uh, there's a lot of information there that they can check out and read to educate and empower themselves when thinking about managing their own portfolios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's such a great resource and I, I appreciate you guys doing that for, for Canadians. Because yeah, I mean, without something like that, 
we're just sort of left to our own devices and you know we're, we're trying to find reputable sources and learn kind of that way as DIY investors and so when you guys come on and it's like well you guys are like the largest Canadian ETF provider you've been there since the beginning you obviously know what you're talking about so to be able to get and questions answered from someone at that level uh, I think is huge uh, for DIY investors so yeah just I, I appreciate you guys doing that um, sincerely as as a fellow Canadian DIY investor uh, I, I think it's a wonderful uh, service that you're offering and, and it's free right so it's not like you have to pay some membership fee to, to get your questions answered so um, yeah so thanks again I, I mean I really appreciate it and I think it's a fantastic uh, thing that you offer for for Canadian investors and even if you don't have a question at least you can watch the webinars and learn an absolute ton so um, I, I've definitely learned quite a bit uh, watching them as well. So uh, yeah, so thank you so much, Danielle, for uh, for offering that. Oh, you're welcome. And we'll have to get you back on the show soon. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, we always have a we always have a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm definitely up for that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so no, so thank you so much for coming on. And um, and yeah, I'll definitely be linking out to everything in the show notes as well. Uh, and thanks for sharing all those resources. And uh, I hope to see you again uh, in the future. Oh, my pleasure. This was, this was great. Looking forward to joining you again, Cornell. All right. Awesome. All right. Take care, Danielle. Bye. All right, a big thanks to Danielle for coming on and sharing her expertise with us. I get these questions a lot, so it's really nice to have these answers right from the source. Again, Danielle and her ETF research team have put together a lot of free resources for Canadian investors over the years. And because there's so many of them, I created that resource page where you can see them listed and access them easily. They're all free. They're not affiliate links or anything like that. And you can check them out and start learning over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash BMO. So just build wealthcanada.ca slash BMO. So enjoy a big thanks to Danielle and the team for putting these together and making them available free of charge and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 